0: Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're on a series on Corinthians, and uh, I know this is Pentecost Sunday. I'm not going to be teaching on the Holy Spirit. I have, an, in Corinthians, we're going to be talking a lot about the Holy Spirit coming up, and so we'll, we're going to save that today, to that. There's actually multiple series that we're going to be doing, um, and the reason we're skipping chapter 3 is because we're doing a, a, a small series on unity, And but I wanted to get to chapter 4 and talk to you today So, um, so because it's so important. See, when the when it comes down to it, the Apostle Paul believed the one main issue, one of the pr- main problems in the Corinthian church, is disunity. And so, but what one of the main reasons for that disunity was in the leaders of that church, and how and even how people were viewing leaders. So, the early church during that time met in their own buildings. Um, not not in their own buildings. They met in homes. Um, in fact, in the Roman uh, uh, Empire, it was against the law for, for Christians to own their own buildings for, to have a church. In fact, uh, Christians didn't start meeting in their own buildings until after 300 AD. And so what they had to do, they had to meet in these homes. Now, these homes aren't like yours and my home today. No matter how small you think your house is, theirs were smaller. In fact, animals lived in part of their home and so um and so, but, so they would meet in these homes, and so they they didn't have just one or two, they had multiples throughout the city. That was happening, and these leaders of these homes is who really Paul is, is talking about here. And you can follow along with us on our notes on our app if you don't have our app right now. And so we even know some of the names of these leaders, you can look at them in 1 Corinthians and the first oh, and 2 Corinthians and in Acts chapter 18. That we know that these churches and these homes were filled with Greeks and Jews. And they they did come together though, once in a while. We see that in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. We see that they did come together, all the, all the church at once. So they weren't really named different churches. They met in houses, but they were one church. Unity is such an important part. And I just wanted to let you guys know that there is a strong sense of unity here in Kansas City among the churches and among the pastors. I want you to know that God is moving in the Kansas City area in that. But our attitude towards church leadership has the power to bind us or to break us. And I'm not just even talking about me as a pastor or elders or other uh, people who are on staff. A lot of times we view that. But we're not the only leaders. Um, there's many of us that are leaders here that are people that are important. And so this is going to talk to a lot of us. In fact, I really believe personally that every single one of us should lead somebody. And so, uh, so I'm, I'm speaking to all of us here. So Paul is going after, really, leadership in chapter 4, and he confronts what may be really the reason for this disunity. This, this, this church is a messed up church. This is a corrective letter, and so he's confronting a lot of things. And this one, he's going to confront the leaders here. So Paul is going after leadership in chapter 4, and so uh, and church leaders are either the strongest means of unity development or the strongest cause for unity's destruction. And yes, our unity really is in the gospel of Jesus Christ, but not, we don't always focus on that, do we? Even, even now today, we don't really always focus on that. And, um, but we should, just like we talked last week, Jesus, the cross, the gospel is so important. So when it comes to the day-to-day life of church unity, uh, it will rise and far, fall on how we view leadership and how they were viewing leadership was totally corrupt and wrong. Really, I'm going to be honest with you, just like it is today. And so they were going after different leaders. It was, like, it was like their YouTube of today. They were listening to this guy or this, this girl, this person or whatever. And they were following them and getting out of order. And they were, they were, they were confronting each other because they were listening to somebody who was speaking this. And it was, and it was doctrinally wrong. Or they were listening to someone who was doctrinally correct, but they were in pride. I follow Apollos, or someone says, I follow Paul, or something like that. And so they were, they were getting it wrong and everything. And I've seen people do that today, that they listen, they have their favorite preacher, and there's nothing wrong with having your favorite person that you, you like to listen to, they minister to you, there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is, you allow them to disciple you from afar, and you don't know their heart, and they don't know your heart. And so what begins to happen is, as you start following them, but you get out of order. They may not be out of order, but you become out of order because you really don't, can't ask them a question. Try to call them up. Right? You can't ask them anything. And so that's what begins to happen in the, about disunity here. And this is how church splits happen. It's not because of doctrinal issues, it's because of personality. In fact, most splits happen... Because of personality. I like this leader better than I like that leader. And you know what? That is wrong. That is sin. That, is, that becomes wrong. And this is what's happening in the church of Corinth. And this is what's going on. And so let me give you an outline. And Paul corrects this here. And here's the outline he gives us for chapter 4. The first thing he starts with, he says, establishes a standard. What is a leader? What does it mean to be a church leader? And, and chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. That's, and we're going to go through this. And the, the second part, he addresses the problem in, in verses 7 through 13. So what he thinks is the root cause of the Corinthian church, he addresses that problem. And then he provides a solution from verses 14 through 21. So we're going we're to go through this, this outline, and we're going we're gonna to see what Paul says and how, how, how it affects us today. Okay, Verse 1, he says, Let man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of... Of the mysteries of God. Now it's very important. There's two things here, because this is their identity. He's talking about what does it, what makes a leader, and who is a leader. So he says, let 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 man so consider us. So what is us? Us is the leadership. He's talking about the leaders. He's not talking about the apostles because he mentions Apollos here a little bit later, um, but he's talking about leadership. He's talking about the leaders of the church, and so the leaders of the church were probably those who were in each one of the houses. So they had multiples of these leaders. They were, some were Greeks, some were Jews, and, and they, they just were called, has, had a lot of problems. So he's talking about that. He said, let us consider this. But then he says, servants of Christ. I know this isn't something that seems significant because all of us are called to be servants. But if you want to be a leader, you have to serve. And I don't know about you. I don't know if you've ever been in a a church or in a ministry or something like that, that they're calling you to serve them. You do not serve me. I serve you. And guess what? You serve others. And you serve me. And we all serve each other. That's the way it is. That's how it starts. That's what it means to be a believer. Is that I'm not just about me. I'm about putting my life down, just like Jesus did, and serve others. What did Jesus do? He washed his disciples' feet. And so the whole part is, is being, being a servant. How many of you ever saw someone who got a title and they changed automatically when they got a title? See, that's not what it is to be a leader in the church. A leader, if you even get a title, you even serve more. That means you bow down. I mean, it's not about being puffed up. It's not about being, having, this, having this stage. It's not about this at all. It's about doing what God's called us to do. It's being a servant. So leaders are servants. He says, he, he, says, he says here, he says, let man so consider us as what? Servants of Christ. But then he says of stewards of the mysteries of God. So this gives us a lot more information of what a leader is. So they start out as Servants. So those who are entrusted with a task becomes stewards. Now Paul uses this word stewards. He has a picture. Everybody understood what a steward was back then. So you had a household who had, who had the owner of the household had servants. And what a steward was, was a servant who was found faithful. And that steward was one who was given the task of ordering the house. Making sure all the jobs were done, making sure the food was done, making sure the cleaning was done, the the the, the animals were fed and taken care of that 's what a steward was was someone who was stewarding for the master he didn 't own the, or own the house they weren 't even any better than the servants, but they were found faithful, so they were elevated in the sense because the the, the master trusted the servant and made him a steward of the house. he was found faithful, and the owner gave him authority over this house. This person has been given the task that requires faithfulness. So a leader, he's saying, is a servant for the most part. They are a servant. they are serving, not wanting to be served, but a servant, but also a steward. They are leading people and making sure, and if you bring this back into the context of the church, it's making sure the gospel is spoken. The word of God is taught, the lives are being changed, and disciples are being made. So that's it. And then he goes on in verse 2, and this is their goal in verse 2. He says, moreover is required in stewards that they be found faithful. So their goal is faithfulness, not success. The goal is being faithful. My goal is as, as, as a steward, as part of a steward in Cornerstone Church, is not to be successful. Is to be faithful to God. Because God's idea of success is different from your idea of success, right? The standard success of this world is usually more and more and more, right? But God's standard may not be that way for you. God's standard of success may be totally different. And that's where we get ourselves in trouble because we're not going by God's standard, which is faithfulness. We're going by the world's standard is success. And we have seen that even in the body of Christ here in this world of of some of the churches getting off track because they are not being faithful to the first calling of their lives, but they have gotten mixed into what success is and trying to guard that success. And guess what happens? People get hurt. Success, what success does, success is different. And so it says his goal is faithful. Faithfulness for the steward isn't about success, but it's about being faithful. It's about trusting in the Lord and being all about the Father's business. There's a difference. Because when you're focused on success and whatever that means to you, then it becomes all about you. That's where we step over the line. If I'm all about success, and let me, I'm just gonna just repent right now. I've been about that before. And it wasn't good. Because my personality and who I am um, can lord over people if I don't watch it. If, my, if, if I keep servant and faithfulness in the front of my my life, then I'm not gonna lord over people. But if I start feeling this idea of success, so what is success? in the church in America right now, more and more people, right? Right? More and more people. That's success. But that may not be the success of what God's called us to do. Now, I want more and more people. I want more and more people to grow the kingdom. And that's why I want the kingdom to grow. And I don't believe God's against that. But if that becomes my focus, not servant and faithfulness, guess what happens? I'm going to use you. I can't see you, so I want to make sure I see you. (laughs) What happens to leaders and where we get off, and this is what was happening in the Corinthian church, they focus on success, the world's success. Now remember, these were people who weren't saved a few years ago, right? And they're coming in, so we're not putting them down. They just didn't know any better, and they were bringing the world inside the church. That doesn't mix. The world does not mix with the things of God. And so what was happening, what happens to us today is we become so focused on success, the church turns into an institution, turns into a business. And guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to use you and get you to go get other people and draw them in. And eventually sacrifices are made, or let me say compromises are made in order to do that. Now, we're all about building the kingdom. That doesn't mean that churches that that are mega churches and everything, they're wrong. I'm not saying that at all. Because there are some great people, friends of mine, that love Jesus and are servant and are faithful. And they're growing, and we're growing as servant and faithfulness. But, um, but we can't be about this world's type of success because that focuses on me. I focus on me. And so that's what's happened. But we need to be focused on faithfulness. Faithfulness. So if our goal is faithfulness, guess what? Guess where our, our, our eyes are on? Jesus. Because I'm being faithful to Him. And you're going to see why here in a minute. Because if I'm not faithful to Him and my goal is success, I'm going to start listening to other people. And not be about God and His Word. We're going to listen about to others. And I'm not going to pray and seek the Lord's will. Right? That's how we get in trouble. So faithfulness is the key. So faithfulness is our goal. Who gets to evaluate the faithfulness? And Paul tells us here, Who's the evaluator of this? Verse uh, 5, excuse me, verse 3. He says, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will bring both to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart, then each one praise will come from God. So Paul's saying to the Corinthians, I don't care about your evaluation of me. So if he was about success, he's going to care. Because he's going to care about the reviews he gets on Facebook and on YouTube and on Google. Right? And he's going to change by what the reviews are saying. But we don't do that, right? We don't do that at all. We don't change because our our evaluator is God. And he says, I don't care about your evaluation of me, and I don't even care about what I think about myself. It is in the end of the day, it's God who will judge me. So he's telling them to wait. God will bring those hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsel of the heart. So there was a lot of judgment towards each other leader that was going on here. You're not following Apollos? How dare you? You're following this guy? How dare you? And that was providing pride. Pride was pr- pushing up. And it was causing this unity of, of this, this area. God is the one who's going to judge. So Paul says wait. Don't judge prematurely. Because God's going to come and judge in a way that he can't. And see and this is what was going on. They were making up. Their own views of what's right and what's wrong. They, within their own wisdom, was saying this is the right way and this is the wrong way. Remember, now you got to remember they didn't have the Bible like we have today, but we do the same thing today. We don't. We don't. We 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 have no right to judge other people outside of the Word of God. Because you make your own way. Oh, that's not right. Or that's not right. And. And we get, into, we get into condemnation. We place shame on people. And if it's not in the word of God, we don't do it. And so God's the one, he's saying, who's judge. God alone. Verse, verse 6. Now these things, brethren, I've, I've figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sake, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. So that's what's happening. People were being puffed up. Oh, I go to this small group, or I go to this, this house church, and, I, and I'm being puffed up. Oh, I know I speak in tongues more than you do. That, we will be talking about that later. Oh, I have the gift of healing, and, and you don't. You only have the gift of prophecy. And I mean, that, that's what was going on. So people were being puffed up. And so Paul says, don't do those things that you may not think beyond what is written. And that's what was happening. They were making their own judgments up. And that's what, that's what happens a lot of times. And in a lot of leadership and a lot of people, that a lot of th- times it's all about their identity. And if you ever hear someone, and all they talk about a lot of times is themselves, just stay away. Let them get healed up first. Come on. We have a Kairos. Invite them to Kairos if they'll come, you know. Because what happens is it's all about them. And so eventually what's going to happen And is that you may be in agreement with someone. And if they're judging other people, that's why we don't talk about other churches in this, in this pulpit in a bad way. You know why? Because we're screwed up too. And I'm talking about you and I, okay? I'm not talking about a building, right? Come on. I mean, this is good stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm having fun. <laughs> Right? I'm the one up here saying I'm screwed up just like everyone else here. And so I hear people just talking bad about other ministries and everything else. And unless they're just totally against Jesus, you won't hear it from here. There's differences in the body. And you'll see that here in Corinthians. There's some who believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And there's some... Who believe in that, but don't believe in speaking in tongues, or they don't—they have different. That's why we have different denominations. That we have—we have different people, but if they believe in Jesus, that He is the Son of God, and He died on the cross. I can be friends with them, amen. A lot of times, leaders, because of their lack of their identity, having identity issues, and they're not being a servant, they're not being faithful, and they're speaking outside of what is written. Guess what begins to happen in them? You may agree with what they're saying about somebody else, but listen, one day they'll turn on you because you're not good enough. Oh, that's good. Let's just keep on. Anyway, um, so Paul says to Corinthians, you're going beyond what is written by making your own standards on what is good or bad, uh, what a good leader is or what a bad leader is. And then they were filling up with pride and being puffed up. Because of by which leader they were following, and they were causing disunity in, in the body, and it was based up on these, all these made up standards. These made up standards. And they had to decide what a good leader was, and, and it was creating factions within the body of Christ and causing disunity. Listen, let me tell you something there's a judgment from causing disunity, there's a, and disunity in the home, right? disunity in the body in the church and we are supposed to strive to be unified. It doesn't mean we don't confront, but we do it like Matthew eighteen. I go to them. Right? You go to them, but you don't make up things that are happening. And this is what was happening. And they decided, you know, to do that and it was causing this disunity. And Paul says, Stop it. Here's the standard your servant. Now, I'll tell you what, that will stop you right away. If you really see Jesus saying, I need to serve who I think is my enemy. I need to love my enemy. You say, well, I don't believe that they're an enemy. They're just wrong and stupid. Well, you need to serve them, right? And if you have this attitude of a servant who's just trying to be faithful, it's a totally different thing. And if you think they're wrong, guess what you're going to do? You're going to take them out to lunch or dinner and you're going to talk about it and with the Word of God in humility and saying, listen, I could be wrong in this, but this is what I see you doing or I see you preaching about. And let's talk about it in the Word of God. And let's come to the Word of God. The Bible says when you go to the person That you have an issue with. And you go to them one on one. And they receive it. You've made a friend. Amen. And that's so important here. So Paul says here's a standard servant. And here's your goal. Is to be faithful. And your evaluator. And their evaluator is ultimately God. So don't go beyond this. Don't go beyond this. In the end. Trust me. God will judge it. Trust me, it will not get past that. God will judge it if they're wrong. So next, Paul will address the problem in verse 7. And Paul asks in verse 7 three rhetorical questions. And this begins the ramp to very really a sarcastic part of Paul we see here in 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, ver, chapter 4, verse 7. And where he is using sarcasm in really an abiding and cutting way. And uh, well, let's just look at it. Look at verse 7. He says, for who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Verse 8, you are already full. You are already rich. You reigned as kings without us. This is the sarcasm. And indeed, I could wish you did reign that we also might reign with you. Isn't this funny? For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last, as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands, being revival revived. I I can't even say that word. Reviled, reviled. We bless. I got to open my mouth more. We bless, being persecuted. We endure, being defamed. We entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the off scourging. Of all things until now. This is sarcasm, by the way. So Paul's getting at, what's their problem? Pride. And he doesn't want disunity in the church, though. So verse 8, so Paul is saying, you guys have already arrived. You must be perfect. So disregard anything I said or I'll ever say. Why don't you guys just write the rest of the New Testament? He's basically saying, and Paul's using sarcasm to cut their oversized ego down to size because pride has puffed them up so much. And then verse 8 and 9, the image of Paul is speaking here is a war procession where at the end of the procession is the fallen leader. And Paul is saying, you have made us a spectacle by what you have been doing and you're putting them to shame. Paul goes on and he says, we as apostles are at the bottom, but you Corinthians are so great With so much spiritual wisdom. I mean he's cutting them really down. Saying listen. I mean this is sarcasm. And this is the way the Corinthians were feeling. That they were better than the Galatians. They were better than the Ephesians. They were better than anybody else. And I want you to know. There's a. There's second Corinthians was written too. Because they're not getting it. Then verse 10 and 13. He's cutting them down to size. Because they think they've made it. In their own standards of leadership. But they're full of pride, and it's, and it's bringing disunity, and it's, and it's cutting the church, and it's hurting the church. And they're losing, um, uh, they're, they're losing everything. Even the world is looking at them and, and thinking, I don't want to be like these guys. I don't want to be like them. We have this out here. Why would I want to go in there? That's, in fact, it even becomes worse in the church than it was in the world. And so they're full of pride and they think they're falling after leaders being the best disciples, but, they, but the way they live couldn't be further from the truth, further from the way they're following these other people. And Paul was disgusted and he established a standard and he goes after the problem, which is pride. And then he provides a solution. Look at verse 14. He says, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children I warn you. Remember, Paul started this church. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of all my ways in Christ as I teach everyone in every church. Now, some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you. Now, listen to this. But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord wills, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. So, he's saying God is gonna, there's going to be power. God's going to use you. But what do you want? Shall I come with you with a rod? Or in love and a spirit of gentleness. So he's giving them the choice to repent. Because he's coming and he's going he's to straighten up this church. Now he's saying here, I'm not trying to shame you though. I want to give you a solution. I'm your father. I'm your father. In and, and verse 16, therefore I urge you to imitate me. He says the, the solution is imitation. So this can be a little weir- weird if someone came up to you and said, hey... You have a lot of pride, and the solution to your pride is to be like me. So Paul was, but Paul was very confident in the way he lived his life for Christ. He has fruit from it. I mean, not all of us can completely say that, but he knew that God told him to lead this church at Corinth, and he knew he was the father, and he knew his authority. And so verse 17 says, for this reason, I've sent Timothy to you, um, my beloved and faithful son of the Lord, and he'll remind you my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. And so he's saying, I'm out there and everybody knows this. So in other words, Timothy, my spiritual son, is going to remind you how to live in Christ like me. And Paul believes that imitation is a solution and it's true for us as well. When we choose to be a student and let Others teach us, be the teacher, then we imitate their behavior and there's no room for pride. The problem with some of these and the problem with us today is we think we're following somebody who we do not know. Listen, you're not a a follower of someone on YouTube. They're a teacher and I'm not saying you can't listen to them. I listen to them because there's great words and everything, but you need somebody local. The way we set up our church is not a leadership that's out there in another state. We set up our church. We have local people governing, and we call them elders, because they're the ones who see me and the see the way I live, the see the way we, I operate my family and, and lead my family. They see the way I talk. They see the way what I do. Uh, we have local leadership because of that, and that's the important part. Because you cannot be discipled by someone on TV. I'm saying that to you online too. (laughs) Discipleship is relational. And we tell everyone who's just online, find someone in your area that can disciple you. Or move to Blue Springs. This is good But I need somebody who can see me, and I can see them, and I can imitate them. You need a father. We have 10,000 teachers. I mean, we have millions of teachers out there. Teaching the Word of God is not the problem. You hear me? You say, I'm not being fed. That's your fault. That's not my fault. Because it's all out there as far as teaching the Word of God. But are you doing what's being taught? And the only one who can tell that is that you've submitted to a father or a mother. I need somebody to disciple me. You need somebody who can walk alongside you. That's why the local church is one of the most important places in this world. Because we come together and we need each other. We're servants, we're faithful, and we have moms and dads, spiritual moms and dads. Amen? And many of us are that. And you. some of us are becoming that. Just remain faithful. And so Paul believes that imitation is a solution. And so he says, when we humble ourselves and we place ourselves under discipleship, fathering and mothering. When we choose to be a student and let someone to be the teacher. Not just, not just about word, but also about life indeed, and, and how they live their life. How do they put the word into action in their life? then there's no room for pride. There's no room for pride. Because I'm I'm serving and I'm leading. There's no room for pride. I have people all around me. If there's pride come up in me, listen, I know. Because they tell me immediately. They joke about it in front of me and James is really good at that. And my wife is... Definitely good at that. We need each other. Amen. And so Paul's saying this here. This is why that that really ministry doesn't really just happen on Sunday mornings. It's part of it. It's part of the part of it. But it happens when I meet with coffee with other people. It's part of it when I have a small group, and I'm sitting there listening. And receiving that's, that's part of it it's part of it when I'm I am teaching and I'm helping others who are less you know not as, not as far along as me and that's not a prideful statement it's just a true statement that they're just entering into the, the things of God and I'm helping them along and showing them the right path I'm not putting shame on them and I'm, I'm saying hey listen come on watch me watch how I live. I'm not perfect, but watch how I live. I'm striving for this. It's not just about hearing a teacher. It's about knowing them well enough where you can follow their lead, imitation. And Then he continues in verse 18 and 19. He says, now some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills, and I will, not, I will know not the word of those who are puffed up with the power. Paul's saying, I'm coming and we're going to see who is puffed up, and we'll see who is, what kind of power they have gotten themselves, they have having them in their lives. See if they're really effective. And Jesus pointing to Jesus, and then the firm reminder: I'm, I'm coming, whether with a rod, or love, and the spirit of gentleness. But I'm coming. You choose which one you want. And I'm sure when Paul does come, and he does, that he has to do both. God's he's saying that it's not about us. It's about us submitting, finding fathers, being a servant and being faithful. So what does that mean? Spiritual leadership's important. But it's servant leadership. It's servant leadership. Jesus never abused his power and he never controlled people neither. He went to the fishermen and he says, listen, lay down your nets and I'll make you fishers of men. He didn't manipulate them to do it. You're going to go to hell. He didn't do that. It might have been truthful if they didn't follow Jesus, but he didn't. He didn't manipulate them. He didn't say, "I'm going to bless you and you're going to be blessed." And he didn't do any of that. He says, "Lay down your nets and follow me." And I believe he turned around and walked off. He didn't beg them. He says, "I'm, I'm giving you an opportunity." And that's what he does today. He lays the table. Remember, there's a table in front of us to feast. It's our job to get from where we're at to come sit at the table and receive what Jesus has servant leadership. And leaders lead people, but it demands faithfulness. God has someone for you to lead, but be faithful in being a servant. And God will bring you to that point. And where you are a steward of the mysteries of God. Because leaders lead people to the gospel of Jesus. And it's setting an example for others to follow. And be that person that I'm going to set an example that people can follow me. Whether one does or thousands. I'm going to be faithful and I'm going to set that example. I want to be that example. I want to be an example of what a godly man should be like. I want to be the example of what a godly husband and a godly father should be like. I want to be an example of what a, a godly man who's serving Christ serves. And is not puffed up with pride. I'm not all about that. But I want people to follow that. I want to be like Jesus. Amen? I'm not perfect, trust me. I'm not saying perfection. That's my goal, of course, right? That's our goal as leaders. That's our goal as people of God is to be like Jesus, whether we get there or not. doesn't matter, but I'm going to try, and that's what the Holy Spirit's for is to help us come and be like that, and that's what God wants us to be, and so Paul's saying, be a servant and be a steward be faithful. And watch God move in your life. God wants to use you in a mighty way. But you got to bow down to him. you got to lay down your life to him. And it's not about you. And if you gave your life to Jesus, give it completely. And watch him use us in a powerful way. And watch the world see our unity. They will know, Jesus said this, they will know that you're of me. Of how what? You love one another and church i I know cornerstone church you're doing that more than ever before i feel like i'm teaching to the choir here but let's even move forward more into that right because we're not there yet and watch god do something amazing in our lives bow your heads close your eyes so father right now i thank you i thank you that um we can be, you called us to be servants. You modeled that, Jesus, of how to serve and come down off your throne, become a man, and serve us. You modeled that for us. You died on the cross for us. And we thank you, God. And so, Father, we just rebuke pride out of our lives right now in Jesus' name. It's not about success. It's about faithfulness. We want to be faithful to you, whether it's in church or whether it's in our job. We want to be faithful. We want to be faithful to what you've called us to do and who you've called us to be, Lord. So help us be a servant in every single area in serving you, serving our family, serving wherever you place us, Lord. Show us how to do that right now in Jesus' name. And I pray for fathers For us here, for fathers, for those who are online, that you're going to have fathers and mothers that you can look to and you're not alone. And we just thank you, God, for that in Jesus' name. And we bless you, God, that you have those in our lives right now in Jesus' name. You show those to us, Lord. And that all of us will rise up as servants and stewards and be able to be a father and mother to somebody to lead them to you, Christ Jesus. In the name of Jesus, and we thank you, Father, for it. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen.